0: So the Sunday after, the first Sunday after Christmas, or right after Christmas, my family and I were able to go and visit um, family members and friends in Missouri, which is where we are from. While we were there, we were able to stop through St. Louis and see some kids who used to be in the youth group that I used to lead in an evangelical church that I worked for, which seems like a lifetime ago. To be more accurate, these kids, they're not kids anymore. (laughs) They've grown up. When we left St. Louis for seminary and to become Episcopalian, these kids were still in high school, but yeah, time has passed. They're definitely adults now, reminding me yet again of how old (laughs) I am getting. Now, originally the plan was just to see just one of them, but then this person invited a few of the other former youths who also happened to be in town, uh, which is really great. Because all of these kids, these adults, they're always going to be kids to me, I think, but they're all wonderful people, really wonderful people. But as we sat down for lunch, something weird started to happen to me. I suddenly found myself getting short of breath. I found myself getting defensive. It was nothing that they were doing. It was just something happening internally in me, and it took me a while to put my finger on it. But mentally, I was putting walls up. Even though when I showed up, I was genuinely excited to see all of these people from my past, right? But I found that simply sitting there, being with them, it was emotionally exhausting. And I left that lunch just utterly drained. And I found that while they reminisced about some of the great times they had in youth group and were reminding me of things that I had completely forgotten about. And I realized in the moment, it's because I repressed a lot of that time while I was with them. But while they were reminiscing about a lot of the great experiences they had uh, in youth group, all I could think about was the tidal wave of terrible memories that just kind of washed over me. Yes, I once was a youth pastor to all of these lovely people but I was a youth pastor to them in one of the most toxic churches and traditions I have ever known. Little did any of these former youths know that while I was seeking to minister to them and to love them as best as I could while I was still with them years ago, some of their parents and many of the adults that they sat next to in the pews week in and week out, they severely damaged me, wounded me. They made me feel like I was never good enough. They always made me feel like I was doing something wrong. I mean, the church hired me to begin with to help them to connect with more young people in the community. But like as soon as I started day one, like 99% of my ideas were slapped down just as soon as I suggested them. I, nobody respected me. And near the end, I even like, quit suggesting new ideas. <laughs> I, I quit saying, hey, let's try this out, because I knew exactly what would happen. It would just get shot down. But then guess what? I got publicly blamed and shamed for not coming up with new ideas anymore. It was just a lose-lose situation from day one of being in that church. Y'all, many of the people in this church were some of the worst people I have ever met in my entire life. And a few of them were indeed the very worst people I had ever met. Problem was, these were the people in leadership, <laughs> as it goes, right? Oh my gosh. My friends, I, I walked around with a tightness in my chest, literally. A tightness in my chest for the entire, the entire seven years that I was a pastor in that church was anxious and depressed, a shell of my former self for nearly a decade. I was so angry that day at lunch this last week because these kids from the youth group, they never hurt me. They were always wonderful, always just enjoyed being there. And people ask me, why did you stick around for seven years if you were so miserable? It was because of them. I loved them. They were wonderful people, right? And I I wanted to stick it out for them so that they would not be alone (laughs) in that horrible church. But man, last week, simply just by being around a few of them, a few of these former youths, it brought me right back to that place of heartache and pain and shame and depression and anxiety, that tightness of chest. I felt like I was back there in that toxic church all over again. My friends, I left that church over five years ago now. Five years ago. Have, five years have passed by. Uh, but apparently, I'm still getting triggered by the very memory of that place. I say all this not for you to pity me. I'm making a point here. This... This is just one example. My example is just one example of how deeply the modern church is wounding people. People who actually give a shit, like who actually want to follow Christ, who are actually trying, who know they're not perfect, but they're trying. Actually, let me be more specific. Time, the time has come to be more specific. This is how deeply evangelicalism wounds people. This is how deeply the Christian right is wounding people. For years now, I have felt convicted of something, but I've been too afraid to name it publicly. And it's probably all that shame culture coming back and afflicting me again. But I'm tired of mincing words. My friends, I can no longer tell the difference between evangelical Christianity and a cult. To me, evangelicalism is a giant cult. Evangelicalism is the great heresy of our day. And I don't throw that word around lightly because it's been lobbed at me (laughs) so many times, but I mean it. Evangelicalism is the great heresy of our times. And evangelicalism for sure is the Herod of our times. Like the Holy Family, like Jesus, Mary, and Joseph— Countless people feel safer fleeing into the great pagan unknown of Egypt than they do sticking it out in the land of Herod, the land they were raised in, the land they are familiar with. Because in Egypt, at least they know they will have a chance of survival. But if they stay in Israel, they know that Herod will eventually destroy them because Herod cares more about his own power than the people he leads or supposedly leads. And like the Magi, countless people intuit that nothing good awaits them if they go back the way that they came, right? You know, the this, this story from the gospel reading from today, the wise men show up, Herod wants them to come back and report where the Savior has been born. Well, they show up and they go and they venerate the newborn king. They, they venerate Christ and give him gifts and all of this good stuff. But an angel warns them that they should not go back the way that they came. And the gospel story for today, it ends with the wise men never returning to the land of Herod. That's If that's not a cultural symbol of what's happening right now, I don't know what is. People have wisened up. And they're not returning to the tradition of Herod. My friends, evangelicalism is no different than Herod in that it's more concerned with maintaining its power over culture than it is about serving the needs of all people. Another gospel story Herod was said to be willing to murder babies and toddlers just to keep his power intact. Well, likewise, evangelicalism has sacrificed millions of people on the altar of its power god. LGBT LGBT plus people, people of color, women, and most of all, in my opinion, young people, regardless of the background, so many young people have been sacrificed on this horrible altar. One example: when the day finally came for me to quit. In St. Louis. I told the all-male board of elders at this evangelical church. Technically, it was a reformed church, but it was way more evangelical than it was reformed. But I approached them and told them I was quitting. This was a young person at the time. I'm not young anymore, my friends. <laughs> but, but at the time, I was still a pretty youngish person. I think I would fall into that category. I approached them and told them I was quitting. And in doing so, I also decided to be bold enough and to call them out on all of their hypocrisy and toxicity and bullshit. I finally said all of the things I wanted to say to them, and I also owned publicly my own flaws, right? I'm not just looking down at them from a place of perfection. I get what it means to be broken, but my God, (laughs) my God, like I'm trying my hardest not to just damage people, right? That was not a concern they had. And I told these Elders that I was leaving their beloved tradition behind for good because they had proved to me just how unchristlike it was. Right? They proved to me that the system does not work. And you know what happened at the end of the discussion. The senior pastor, a man I loved and respected dearly, he asked me not to share my real reasons for leaving the church with anybody else. That all of what was said in that room needed to stay in that room. Why? Because he didn't want the image of the elders to be marred in the people's eyes. He didn't want any feathers to be ruffled, right? Oh my gosh. My only regret is that I listened to him. I should have gotten up the following Sunday and told everybody to run like hell. Uh, Herod is coming for them. But honestly, I didn't have any fight left in me at that point. There was nothing left in the tank. And all of these men were powerful men in the community, respected men in the community. It was intimidating. I just tried to preserve myself, right? But I had nothing left in the tank. The church had robbed me of all of my vitality at that point. I I wish my story was the only story like this. But you know as well as I do that it's not. It's not a rare thing. This is not a rare story. And the problem is that evangelicalism listens more to its own pride than the young people who are leaving it behind in droves, who are fleeing into the land of Egypt, who are not going back the way they came, right? Now you might be thinking, why is he bringing all of this up? we aren't evangelicals. Many of us also gladly left that tradition years ago, and we never looked back. Why is he drawing this line in the sand between us and evangelicals now? Like, aren't we all one? We're all Christians, aren't we all one? Well, the answer to that is no. (laughs) No, we are not. We are not one. And that was not our choice. (laughs) Evangelical Christianity drew a line in the sand decades ago between us Episcopalians and it. And simply pretending like that line does not exist. It's not doing anybody any good. To prove the point, I have evangelical family members and people who used to be very close friends who quit talking to me the moment, the second that I was ordained to the priesthood. wasn't my choice. They pushed me to the other side of that line in the sand and shunned me. I'm not the only one, right? I am not the only one. And I also bring all of this up because whether we like it or not, even if we have been really like detached from evangelicalism, evangelicalism, it still affects us. It is still a behemoth in our country it's a bleeding one but it is still a behemoth it still holds a lot of cultural sway over people so much so that many people believe that the modern day herods are the best brightest most godly men that they have ever known oh my gosh All right just look at this no oh, i'm going to stop there i <laughs> I'm deviating from my manuscript currently, and I'm just going to, I'm going to zip it before I say some things that I cannot retract. Maybe I should say them, but I'm saying enough for right now. (laughs) But most importantly, many people like me, countless people like me, are still getting triggered at the very thought of their time in the evangelical church. Still, years later, they are finding that they haven't fully healed yet that old scars have opened back up into wounds once again. And because the Christian right is more outspoken than we Episcopalians are, many people don't know how different we are than the churches that wounded them. Many people don't even know that we Episcopalians exist. I mean, I remember getting into a discussion with an old friend from childhood several years ago. I think it was my first year of seminary. She said that she used to go to church, but no longer does so because she believes that women and gay people should be allowed to be ordained. And I was like, hello, <laughs> have you ever heard of the Episcopal Church? Do you want to know what her exact response to me was? The what church? She had never heard of us before. And she did not realize that some flavors of Christianity differ dramatically from the evangelical church she experienced growing up. She didn't realize that there are still some of us out there who are trying very hard not to be Herod, right? Some of us who are not willing to sacrifice people in order to maintain our cultural positions of power. For us, that's not what it's about. It's about following Christ, not the ways of Herod. But this is probably exactly why People like her have never heard of us Episcopalians before. Like, we're not making cultural power grabs. We're actually trying to be, you know, um, humble. (laughs) Like, being in the spotlight and getting our way culturally is not what it's about. But even so, there are going to be many, many, many people outside of these stained glass walls who will be reluctant to come in and to see what this place is all about because they fear that the past might just repeat itself here. They fear that they might get hurt all over again by us. They're projecting their past experiences onto us. It's understandable, right? Is it fair though? Is it fair to you? Is it fair to me that we're getting associated with these traumatizing churches? No, It's not fair because St. Paul's is far from perfect. But folks, like, you don't do that to people. (laughs) You don't. All of seven years, seven years in St. Louis, I walked around with a tightness in my chest and a depression that just would not go away. And I have to tell you, the priesthood is so hard. It is a heavy, heavy job. But I don't walk around this place with a tightness in my chest with a depression that just never goes away. I love being here. You all are a wonderful community. It's not fair to you that you're getting associated with these churches. It's not. But that's the cultural reality we are facing. Even if it's unfair, it's the reality. And this is the hurdle that we must somehow find a way of overcoming if our church is going to experience some growth, some new life, some new people coming in. And I don't know if I have the answer to that, my friends. I don't. I'll be honest with you. Sure, to be certain, there will come a time when Herod finally dies off. There'll come a time when the Savior will be able to return to the Holy Land again And the gospel will actually like get out there, the authentic, true gospel, the good news, right? When people will hear the word gospel, they will think good news, not oppression or marginalization or shame once again. But that day is not here yet. Herod is alive and well. Yes, there will be a time when false religion, when the heretical cult of right-wing evangelicalism dies off and true religion will return and flourish on a larger scale once again, but we are not there yet. Until then, we will find ourselves living in a time of Herod's desperate wrath. That is the time in which we're living. So as a church, let's make a New Year's resolution together. Since this is the time in which we are living, let's do all that we can to ensure that this place, that this parish is a safe place for people to flee to, to flee from the wrath of evangelicalism too. Let's sympathize with their pain, empathize with their pain, allow them to work things out in this space, to give them the space to do that, right? Right? Let's do all that we can to ensure that this place, that this parish is a safe place where people can bring their whole selves to. In an age of Herod, let's do all that we can to turn this place into the safety of Egypt. And also, let's not be afraid of calling Herod and all of his followers out on their heresy, because that's exactly what it is. It is heresy. If St. Paul or St. Peter or like Ignatius of Antioch or John Chrysostom or the Desert Fathers and Mothers, if they were to walk into any, any, any evangelical worship service today, 100%, they would not recognize it. They would have no idea how to navigate it because evangelicalism has severed itself completely off entirely from ancient ways of prayer. And these saints would wonder why men in suits and ties or men in afflicted t-shirts and skinny jeans have replaced the priesthood and all of the rich symbolism that comes with the liturgy. And these saints, they would wonder why the evangelical church has wandered so far away from their radical teachings on things like gender. Yes, the ancient church was far more open (laughs) to things around gender than we are today. They'd wonder why the Evangelical Church has rejected this notion of the sacredness of creation. They'd wonder why the Evangelical Church has deviated so much from their economic and political vision, because for most of the Church Fathers, their political vision looked way more like socialism than capitalism. I could go on and on, on and on. I could. But here's my point. My point is that we Episcopalians, we often stay silent, silent in the face of all of this stuff, in this age of Herod, all in the name of keeping the peace. Well, my friends, for thousands and thousands of people who have been burned by the cultural Christianity of the day, there is no peace. To not speak up is to choose a side, whether we like it or not. So the time has come to speak up.